0: We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another, but we are transferring power from Washington, D.C. And giving it back to you, the people. Well, welcome to We the People Convention News and Opinion. My name is Tom Zawistowski, and I'm the host of this radio show and podcast, and I'm the president of the We the People Convention. And we're so happy that you've decided to join us today, uh, whether it's on the radio, uh, on the five stations that we have uh, in Ohio that carry the program on Saturday mornings, or on our podcast, which is available uh, 24-7, 365 uh, at our website at wethepeopleconvention.org and is viewed across the nation on, um, on uh, Amazon Fire TV, Roku TV, YouTube, uh, iTunes, yeah, you name it. You can get it if you just go to wethepeopleconvention.org. There's a little yellow button. You click on it, it'll tell you the names of all the radio stations, what time the show's on, and every other way you can get it. So thank you for joining us this week. Um, folks, we're just in a place we have never been before, and, uh, and I'm glad you tuned into the show because I think there's some important things to talk about, and I think there's some uh, opinions you're going to hear uh, here on this show today that you just aren't going to hear anywhere else. Uh, I have strong opinions. Uh, I try to give you information that will benefit you. For those of you who are new to the podcast and the radio show, uh, what we try to do each week is look at the news filter out all the things that is noise, uh, get rid of that and focus on the things that affect you, the listeners to the show and me and and Americans. And, And then we talk about things we can do about it so that's the this is how the show is going to proceed and obviously the big you know the big story is you know the coronavirus right so we're gonna we're gonna jump right into that and we're gonna talk about what's uh, going on with the coronavirus and i think the there's some good news today so I'll, yeah i'll start out with the good news because i know a lot of you are really worried really concerned there's a lot of really scary things happening, but I want to give you some good news to start it off, and then we can kind of talk about those scary things. The big news uh, you know, going into the weekend here is that uh, there's a drug called uh, chloroquine, and it's an old malaria drug, and apparently this drug uh, is showing signs of being able to treat the coronavirus. And uh there's been a lot of chatter on uh the the, the guy that uh, has been working on this is uh, was on Tucker Carlson and he was on other shows and the president uh, talked about the fact that they're really looking at this drug as being a big deal where it could actually treat people uh and and you know reduce the effects of the virus so that's that's good news and there's other good news like the testing is starting to get uh you know better just more testing and you know that kind of stuff. But here's the bottom line. You know, the bottom line is that, uh, you know, this thing is about to hit us. And uh, the latest, uh, st- you know, statistics as a taping of this show uh, is that Ohio has 89 cases. Uh, uh, the United States has 10,781. We've had 160 deaths in, in the United States. In the world, there's 236,500 some uh, cases with almost 10,000, 9,817 deaths. And, you know, it's, it's still growing everywhere, though uh, in China, they are reporting that uh, they have no new cases. So, again, that's perspective. And, and I'm going to talk about perspective because I think we're really lacking perspective in this whole thing. The problem is that we've got to do a very difficult thing, and that's balance, uh, you know, the, the, the lives of American citizens and citizens around the world with the economic damage that will be done by the things we're doing to try to keep this virus from spreading to so many people that it's catastrophic that's a difficult thing to do and there's there's actually you know an ideological issue here because i think with a lot of our medical professionals and, and particularly here in ohio i think they're panicked by the potential of this thing and and they're also panicked by the fact that, that they have to be responsible for lives. Now, now, what do I mean by that? They keep saying, the president keeps saying, everyone keeps saying, this is a war. We're fighting a war against an unseen enemy, which is a virus. That's a great analogy. We are fighting a war. But in war, there are casualties. And too many people who are making decisions are acting like you can fight a war without casualties. Now, you and I already know, we've talked about this last week. You've heard, you know, again, you're, you're getting way too much information about this coronavirus. It's maddening that some of these press conferences are going for three hours. So, so you know, let's try to cut to the chase. Let's try to talk about what's going on. In everything that happens in this world, you have to have a, a, a risk and reward you know, comparison. And so take the, the flu that's current, the, the, the normal flu, right? Not the coronavirus, just the normal flu. We as a, as a society in the United States of America have decided that if 50,000 people die every year from normal flu, those are acceptable risks, that that, 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 that is just life and that we're going to do X amount of things, we're going to spend X amount of money to fight the flu, right? So we have these flu vaccines, we spend money, they run all these ads, you know, lots of us go and get the flu shots and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But the bottom line is for years on end, it's like 50,000 people die every year. So in this case, you are not hearing much information about what, you know, the, the casualty rate is that we're willing to accept in this war. And, and I think part of the reason is, and to this week, there was a, a study from Cambridge in England that was leaked that, you know, the New York Times, of course, got a hold of, and it's a worst case scenario. I mean, it's talking about 160 million, excuse me, 160,000 people dead in the United States. That's a big number. And they're talking as high as 480,000, uh, the, the, you know, and, and yes, the potential is for that to happen. But use your common sense. Look at China. And I just reported that China said they have no new cases. China had this virus last November, didn't even know they had it, and didn't do any of the things that you and I are being asked to do right now for, for literally a month after it started. And they never got over 100,000 cases. And, you know, and the bottom line is that, that they you know, they've stopped it. They have 1.3 billion people, folks. We only have 330 million in the United States. And yet they, they peaked at like 100,000, a little less than 100,000. And yes, they've had thousands of deaths, but it hasn't even been as bad as the regular flu. Well, how can that be true? Which it is true. That's, well, again, I, well, let me take that back. We think it's true. The Chinese, you can't ever trust them. But, but that looks like what's going on. And in South Korea, we've seen, you know, that this thing has been, you know, restricted. And then have this report come out that says, we're just all going to just get, you know, this disease and so many of us are going to die. It doesn't make sense. Okay. It doesn't make sense. So you got your best case scenarios, you got your worst case scenarios, but the reality is that it all comes on the personal responsibility. And, and, and that means I mean, think about this. So let me put this in a, in a statement that I think will really help you guys. So this is a war, like World War II. In World War II, what was asked of the public? We had to take our sons and, and our fathers and, our, and the men in the country mostly, lots of women served as nurses and things, but this is a different time in World War II, and we had to go defeat the Nazis. And hundreds of thousands of us died and millions of people died. That's a pretty tough deal, right? Remember when we were little kids and you little kids, you younger people are listening and watching. You know, I'm talking about when I was young, you know, I'm, I'm 65 now. So when I was, you know, a teenager or, or, or younger and, and we were fighting the communists and we were afraid of nuclear war, right? And we practiced, you know, putting our heads, our hands over our heads and getting under our desks at school in case there was a nuclear attack. <laughs> Yeah, that would have worked pretty well when, well, you know, they, a nuclear attack would have vaporized the building we were in. Being under your desk wouldn't have worked too well. But we we had to get, you know, uh, bomb shelters. My family, we had a a cold uh, cellar where we had, you know, food stashed and supplies in case of a nuclear attack. Now they're talking about this this attack from this coronavirus. And it's, you know, and they're having these Apoplectic things oh my gosh it's the end of the world as we know it you know this thing is coming it's going to kill millions it's going to be horrible and what are they asking us to do they're telling me and i'm in you know the group you know that's supposedly so you know vulnerable to this right i'm in that elderly person group they're saying if you stay home for two weeks wash your hands don't uh you know you know touch anybody stay six feet apart you'll, you not get it. Hey, that's a pretty good deal, right? I mean, think about it. You know, I know we're all scared about the economy and all that, and I'm going to get to that in a second, but, but, but here's the bottom line. The bottom line is we can do this. We can do this easily. And if we do it, we're going to be safe. Now we may have some economic problems. Like I said, I'm going to talk about that, but think about that. We can do this. So I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to be confident. I want you to take personal responsibility and say, I am going to decide whether I get this or not by my actions. And if you do that, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. So now let's talk about the economic side of it, because this is really the problem. This This is really the problem. America is shutting down. And it... You've got to ask some hard questions about the cost of that. And unfortunately, not enough people are asking those questions and they should. Now at the WeThePeopleConvention.org, I posted some pretty good articles this week and, and you need to go look at that every day. And, and, and if you aren't getting my emails, go to WeThePeopleConvention.org right on the front page. You put in your email address, your zip code, and you start getting this stuff because I'm sending you important things. But there was an important article uh, that was written by Heather McDonald who talked about, you know, what is, is the, is it worth destroying our economy to save these lives, right? And the question is, how many lives and how much damage to the economy? But, you know, we're already getting pretty clear indications. Steve Mnuchin is saying that coronavirus could bring 20% unemployment. Holy cow, 20% unemployment? That's a big deal. This week, they just shut down all the auto factories for two weeks. That's a big deal. All across the country, the unemployment, you know, people filing for unemployment have gone up. Why? Because they've closed everything, right? I mean, you know, you started with, you know, closing schools. You know, you start saying you couldn't be in groups of more than 500. Then it was 250. Then it was 100. Now it's down to 10. They don't want you to go to sporting events. They don't want you to go to you know, even to church in some cases now. And, and so we are imposing this economic hit on ourselves and the government to their credit are trying to do everything they can to offset that and mitigate that. But the bottom line is we have to be very careful here because we can't commit economic suicide. In that Heather McDonald article that was on our website, there was a link to a City Journal article where an economist was talking about the possibility that global GDP could be cut in half this year. Do you understand that that means millions of people will die of starvation if you cut the global GDP in half? So so see this is where we talk about the prevention efforts are worse than the, than the disease. And we need to be not panicked. We need not to have fear in what we're doing. We need to have leadership. And, and, you know, I talk about, you know, leadership and, and I, and those of you who watch this program and know me, I always talk about a, a great book called the, the last lion. It's about Winston Churchill in world war II. And so what I mean about leadership is, and maybe it's a thing that's different between liberals and conservatives, right? Because what I'm getting from a lot of these medical professionals is their feelings, their feelings. Every life matters, right? We hear that all the time. Every life matters. But the problem is that, is it worth destroying 100,000 people's lives or a million people's lives or, or 11 million people's lives to save 5,000 lives. That's a tough call. In World War II, Winston Churchill once had to let 10,000 of our troops die in a battle because we had broken the German code and we had listened to their radio transmissions and we knew that they knew that we are going to invade at this spot. But if Winston Churchill called off the landing, he would have tipped the Germans off that we had those codes and it would have hurt our ability to win the war. That's leadership. Now, a lot of you will say, that's horrible. He sent 10,000 men to die. But see, life is about those kind of hard decisions. And I'm, I'm concerned that we don't have people, I'm going to be talking about the governor of Ohio shortly, who have the ability to make those decisions, to look at the greater good, to balance what you're doing, and to understand, you know, what, what is really the best thing for all of us, for our country. And let me be clear. As I said, I'm in the group, all right? And I know a lot of you listening, watching this are older. Let me be clear to you. I would rather die than have anyone lose their job, lose their business, lose their education trying to save my life because it's up to me to save my life. It's up to me and I wouldn't impose that on a stranger. And that's what I'm afraid we're doing too much of and we need to be careful about that. There's a balance. But you and I need to understand. we're adults, the adults in the room, we need to understand. there's going to be deaths. That's a fact. We're going to try to mitigate those deaths. With everything we can do, that's a fact. But it's, it's, it's like those old World War II movies where the submarine was hit with a death charge, and the, and the, the sub one of the compartments of the sub is flooding. And some brave, you know, uh, sailor goes in there and starts to try to shut the valves off to stop the flooding. But the captain has to then order one of the other crew members to lock the the doorway, to seal the doorway. And there's still sailors in there who are going to die. But the captain has to save the sub. That's what Donald Trump has to do. He has to understand that balance that we're going to take some actions that are going to cost lives. But that's the way you have to do things to save the country and to save the world, in fact. Now, I know that's not what a lot of people want to hear. But that's the truth. And that's the kind of leadership we need. And I'm just not sure we're getting it in some spots. And one of the spots I'm not sure we're getting it is in Ohio. In Ohio. Ohio. We had a situation in Ohio where our governor went on TV with Tucker Carlson and a lot of you went to our website to see this video because our health director, this Dr. Acton, had come out and said that she thought there were 100,000 cases, 100,000 cases of coronavirus in Ohio based on the fact that we had five people with the disease. This was totally irresponsible. And again, let me, let me just compare that, right? At that time, there were, she said there's 100,000 cases in Ohio. In the whole world, there were 132,000 cases. In China, as I said before, they had had the disease for months since November, November, December, January, February, March, five months they've had it. They never got to 100,000 cases and the flu, the, the China virus started in China. And she's going to get on, on a press conference and scare the bejesus of Ohio citizens with this totally made up lie. And I'm going to play the clip from the Tucker Carlson show where she explains where she got this information. Listen to this. The government of Ohio announced that based on multiple instances of community spread in the state and extrapolating from those, they suspect that 1% of all of Ohio has the virus now. The state has 11.7 million people. That adds up to more than 100,000 positive cases. Explain to us in a way that we can understand how you got to this. Yes. So, so, you know, Tucker, we know that we don't know the exact number of Ohioans because we, we really haven't been able to test, and we don't yet have the exact right. models that will tell us. Did you hear what she just said? Let me, let me read it to you in case you missed it. When Tucker Carlson asked her how you came up with the number 100,000, she said, quote, okay, so, you know, Tucker, we don't know the exact number of Ohioans because we haven't been able to test number one, and we don't know yet, and we don't yet have the exact models that will tell us. So I have no data, and I have no model, but I told you 100,000 people were going to have the coronavirus in Ohio. She then went on to say, I think there was some confusion in my remarks, and partially because I'm tired, but what we do know is that we assumed communities spread already because we weren't able to test for it. That's insane. That's totally crazy. And so with that action, and, and, and I can understand why the governor might have been panicked by this, this doctor who just pulls a number of 100,000 out of her head when there's only five cases in Ohio. And there aren't 100,000 in the rest of the world outside of China. And so what did, what did the governor do? Who, the governor started to close restaurants, close schools, right? He started, first, he started to close schools for three weeks. Then he canceled spectator events. Then he banned meetings of more than 100 people. Then he acted to close bars and restaurants. And then he illegally canceled our election. And he has no legal authority to do any of that, folks. He has no legal authority to do that. Now, again, don't get me wrong. I'm, I understand we have a serious situation. I understand that what they're trying to do, as they say, is flatten that curve, right? They're trying to starve the virus. And by getting us not to be in touch with each other, we can starve the virus. So I understand what the governor was doing, but he's doing it in a completely insane manner. So, so what do I mean by that? Okay. What do I mean by that? So think about these, think about the restaurant owners on Sunday at three o'clock, the governor holds a press conference with zero warning. He says, Oh, my friends, some of my friends sent me photographs of bars that showed all these young people at bars having a good time and said, Governor DeWine, why don't you close these? Because they could spread the virus. That's his reasoning, right? And he then says, so as of 9 o'clock tonight, this is like six hours notice, we're closing the bars, we're closing the uh, restaurants, and you cannot have any people there. You can only do drive-through. Now, right before he did that, Householder, the Speaker of the Ohio House, was named Householder, He tweeted and said, don't close the restaurants, just tell them that they can only have the same number of people that we're saying you can have for group meetings. At the time, it was 100, because then the restaurants could stay open. If you said you can only have 100 people at a time, they could then keep count, and they could ask people to only be there for half an hour and leave so more people could come in, and they could stay in business. He never even gave them a thought. Think if you owned a business, a restaurant that you had worked your whole life to keep this business going. And the governor of the state doesn't ask you, doesn't give you any warning. He doesn't say, by next weekend, you've got to just be doing takeout. He says, by 9 o'clock tonight, you've got to close your doors. How grossly unfair is that? How insane is that? Here's a quote from one of the, uh, the guys. One of those owners is Tony George, who's up in Northeast Ohio. He has over a dozen restaurants like Harry Buffalo, Town Hall, and the new Summer House. Between his 14 restaurants in the area and three in Columbus, he expects he will uh, alone will have to lay off 1,600 employees due to this. He said he expects, expects this will put 50% of our restaurants out of business. And I hope I'm wrong. Folks, we can't afford it. Look at your community. Look at those local restaurants and bars. If you put 50% of them out of business, your town is going to take years to recover. It didn't have to be done that way. It didn't have to be done that way. And this governor has total disregard for the personal well-being of our citizens. And so, yes, the federal government is saying you can apply for unemployment. Your unemployment isn't the same as your paycheck. And if you're a waitress, you you get tips. Your unemployment's nothing. And if you're a a business owner and they shut you down, they're saying, well, the Small Business Administration is going to give you uh, low-interest loans. Are you kidding me? There's a big difference between a profit and loan. Worst of all, worst of all, if you, if you, again, and this is all done by Governor DeWine with his Dippy Health Administrator, Dr. Acton, right, who made up the 100,000 number, and we're going to see more of how Dippy she is in a minute. He's so panicked that he shuts these down, and there is no huge change on the ground here as far as the virus. We went from 5 to 13 people in the whole state. In a state of 11.6 million, there were 13 cases. And he does that to bar owners. And then the worst part was this. St. Patrick's Day is Tuesday. One of the biggest days in the year for restaurants and bars. You're going to make a ton of profit, and you've spent a lot of money on stock, okay, and other you know, food and things like that. He should have said, we're going gonna to go through St. Patrick's Day because I know that'll help give you some cash to weather the storm and you got to uh, stop going with your restaurant on Wednesday. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not what he's doing, it's how he's doing it. And just the other day, the last press conference, he said he wants every, he wants every business, every factory to now test Every employee when they come to work to with their temperature. Now, I understand why they're doing that. The first sign of the virus is a temperature. Got it. We understand. We, the people, understand, Governor. He makes that announcement on Wednesday afternoon and he's telling them they got to start doing it on Thursday morning. These people aren't nurses, they're running a, a manufacturing plant. They might have 500, 1,000 employees in oil guess what? They called me. They went out to buy, you know, things that could measure your temperature. You know, the infrared things that you can, you get to those temperatures with. There aren't any. There aren't any on the shelves, governor. You should have said you're going to start doing this starting next Monday and you could go to your county board of health to get the things to take their temperature. That would have been the right thing to do but you didn't do it because you don't care about the people because you've got a God complex because you keep talking about it's a matter of life and death, but it's also a matter of life as far as people's lives, Governor DeWine. How dare you? How dare you? So what did he do next? What did he do next? Yeah, he just decided to break the law. Yeah, Governor DeWine just decided to break the law. After holding a press conference, where he said, I don't have, now this is on Monday, literally 12 hours before our election starts or 15 hours before our election is supposed to start on Wednesday, Governor DeWine says, I've decided that we've got to postpone the election, but I don't have the authority to do it. I legally can't do it. But we're going to have these two citizens who told me that they don't feel it's right to be in a position where they have to either vote or take a chance of getting the virus by going to vote. And the governor was wrong about that because I just talked about personal responsibility. People do this all the time. There are people who are sick all the time, who die from the regular flu, who say, am I going to go to vote or am I not because I'm afraid of my health? But he says, we're going to take a lawsuit to Franklin County to get a ruling on this, and that arrogant governor thought the fix was in. So they go and file this lawsuit, and the judge in Franklin County says, Governor, or, or basically to the case, the, the guy in Franklin County says, in denying the request, there are too many factors to balance this uncharted territory to say that we ought to take this away from the legislator and elected statewide officials and throw it to a common police judge in Columbus 12 hours before an election. He denied their case because the statutes in Ohio give the date of the election, the authority to set that only to the legislature, the House and the Senate. Only Governor DeWine knew that. He knew that, but now I'm going to let you in on a little secret, folks, because this is a criminal conspiracy. Governor DeWine may have had the best intentions, and lots of people have good intentions, but break the law, and they go to jail for that, okay? So he might have been panicked by his dippy medical director, who gave not one shred of new information the Monday before the election as to why... The polls were safe all week long, right? But suddenly they weren't safe on Tuesday. Just suddenly they weren't safe. There, were no, there was no explosion of cases. There were no explosion of cases. And this woman, this Dr. Acton, not only did she say it was safe every day leading up to the election, she helped tell the Secretary of State and all the poll workers, How to make it safe? And Fox Television was showing video of the preparations with Perel and gloves and the little rubber thumb things to make sure it was elected. We made a ton of effort. The poll workers deserve a ton of credit and they deserve to be paid, even though the election didn't go on, to make it safe. And then Governor DeWine arbitrarily decides that he's going to take away your and my right to vote, a totally unconstitutional act, and then he conspires to illegally do it. How do I know that? What's my proof? Well, we talked about the governor saying that the press conference—he had no right to do it. He had no legal authority. And we talked about the governor said we're going to file this lawsuit. But you know what also happened? An hour before the judge ruled that the election must go on, a text message was sent to every election official in Ohio telling them the election was canceled for tomorrow. And that text message came from a number that no one has been able to identify. And I intend to to demand that the attorney general and the legislature investigate who sent that text message to basically blow up our ability to put on the election. An hour before the judge rules, a text message goes out and says the election's off. But oh, guess what happened? The judge ruled the election was on. Well, now Governor DeWine and Secretary of State LaRose were in a lot of trouble, weren't they? They were in a lot of trouble. So what happens next? They tried to shop it to the, sec- to the Supreme Court, would not take the case. So they get Dr. Acton, they get Dr. Acton, the health director, to declare at like 11 o'clock at night that the only the places, the election, the polling locations, only the place where you and I are going to vote that they were a health risk and had to be shut down. She did not make a medical decision. She made a political decision. That was a political act. And you know what? I can prove that too. I can prove that too. So here's the lady who said it was unsafe for people to go vote or for the workers to go there. Yeah, watch this video while you still can. I'm here with Dr. Acton, who is the director of the Ohio Department of Health, who's doing an excellent job working through this situation with Governor DeWine over the last several days. And Dr. Acton, my question direct to you for Ohio's elections officials, is it safe for them to come to work on Tuesday and work the polls? Absolutely. I really encourage you to come and do your part. You know, the Secretary of State has taken extraordinary measures to protect your safety and and it's the things we're talking about for most of us, if we're healthy, we can still be a poll worker and and I, I suspect that's most of you. There you have it. What a hypocrite. What a hypocrite. She's telling us on video that it is safe to vote. If you're healthy, it's safe to vote and then she cancels the election. We just let We just let the health director of Ohio take away our chance to vote and violate the rules of our state. And that's why I wrote and called for Mike DeWine to resign, and I called for the legislature to impeach him. Because not only did he knowingly break the law, he conspired to break the law. And, and, and we can't have someone leading us in this crisis who would break the law with no evidence, with no reason to do so. He could have, listen, folks, Mike DeWine could have called the legislature into session last week and said, this is getting bad. We may have to move the election day. Can you give I or the Secretary of State temporary authority to make an adjustment if need be? He didn't do that. He never mentioned it. So we've got, I've asked this legislature to to move to impeach. I don't think that's going to happen because it's all corrupt in Columbus. I think they might reprimand him. But this is very, this is a constitutional crisis because what you've got is you've got the governor, the executive branch, taking away the rights of the legislative branch and then not following a ruling of of the judicial branch when the court ruled the election should go on. That's a constitutional crisis. And so I've asked the Ohio legislature to do five things. One, immediately take back rightful control of our elections and conclude this election as soon as possible. After doing this illegal act, And after admitting in his press conference, he has no authority to set the date of our election, he's all over your TV telling you the election is going to be June 2nd. He has no say in that. Zero, Governor. Zero say. The legislature is going to meet next week, and it's not going to be June 2nd, and he needs to apologize at least and stop trying to break the law. We're not interested in an election on June 2nd. We've already had 30 days of voting leading up to March 17th. We don't need another 60 days. What, we're going to have 90 days to vote? It's not going to happen. Call your legislators. Tell them, even if we have just voting by absentee ballot, that we want this done by April 15th. Number two. We want the legislature to investigate immediately the current unknown source of the text that was sent Monday night to all board of election officials in the state, saying that the election was canceled on Tuesday before the court ruled that it was not. Three, we want them to immediately move to impeach or at least sanction the governor for conspiring to stop the legal election from taking place. Four, we want them to act to constrict the emergency powers that the governor has abused in response to the emergency an act to have health director, Dr. Acton, removed for issuing this illegal order that stopped an election. And she did so with, because poli- she did so for political motivations instead of medical. And we need to change this law that the, the legislature did. They did pass this law that gives the health director, these authorities in a, in a uh, emergency, the legislature needs to relook at that code and basically Make sure that they cannot abuse the power that they've given them as they have just done. It's a shame. It's horrific. And I know a lot of you people are thinking, oh, Mike DeWine, thank you for taking care of me. You know, thank you for people writing online. You know, you did the right thing in canceling the election. No, he didn't. He didn't do the right thing. You know how you can tell the truth about that? Let's go back to Dr. Acton. See, because there were three other states that had elections on, on Tuesday. Arizona, Florida, and uh, Illinois, right? And Dr. Acton is the only one. Her peers all said it's okay to have our election. And guess what? Florida had 154 cases of coronavirus when they said that. Illinois had 105, and we only had 57. So her own peer group disagreed with her because she didn't do it for medical reasons, she did it for political reasons. She needs to be thrown out of her job, Governor DeWine needs to be sanctioned and reined in, and the legislature needs to reinstitute the rule of law and get us out of this constitutional crisis by protecting the rights that they have to set the date of the election. And I wanna know who sent that text message because that's where the criminality lies. All right, got to take a break to cool down. You're listening to the We the People Convention News and Opinion Radio Show and Podcast, and I'm Tom Zawistowski. As Merrick, President of Liberty Camp for Kids in Portage County, Ohio. Liberty Camp for Kids is where students in grades 1 through 6 experience the founding of our nation. This year's camp will be held from July 20th through the 24th, from 9 till noon. The cost is $30 per camper. If you're interested in our camp, being a volunteer, or even starting one of your own, go to www.LibertyCampForKids.com. Buckeye Firearms Association is Ohio's number one gun rights organization, protecting the rights of Ohio's 4 million gun owners. And you can get our weekly gun rights newsletter free. Receive breaking news and urgent alerts on gun laws. Stay up to date on self-defense and shooting sports. Discover pro-gun activities and events near you. Get your free gun rights newsletter now at BFANews.org. That's BFANews.org. BFANews.org. All right. And we're back and we're glad that you're still with us. Uh, boy, you know, there's going to be a lot on the podcast and those of you who are just listening to the show for the first time, we're doing this as a podcast as well as a radio show. And so after the radio show, it goes on for like another half an hour and you know, that's going to go on for at least that long because I've got so much to cover, but uh, we're going to keep going here now at the radio show. And I want to, you know, just you know, kind of give you some good news, some things that are important. First of all, you know, I know you've been to the grocery store. We've been to the grocery store, and we've quite frankly been a little bit concerned about you know the shelves being empty and the fact that it tells you that citizens are so afraid, right? Because people like Dr. Acton and Governor DeWine are scaring the heck out of you with these figures. Uh, Dr. Acton actually said in in the most recent press conference that she thinks between. 40 and 70% of Ohioans are going to get the coronavirus. If that were true, she would, she's predicting that then if it's 1% death rate, we'd be like 160,000 dead in Ohio. That's insane. Not when we're doing all these things we're doing. Not when we're staying home and doing the right thing to starve the virus, right? So anyway, so there's a lot of food not on the shelves, but there is not a food issue. Okay, and the Kroger CEO reassures Americans that there's plenty of food. Kroger CEO Rodney McMullen wants Americans to know they do not need to be concerned about food shortages as the nascent faces the coronavirus pandemic. As long as customers just buy what they need and don't hoard, there will be no problem at all. There's plenty of food in the food supply chain, McMullen said. Kroger's 37 company-owned factories are now operating 24 hours a day and stockers are doing the same at your uh, Kroger distribution centers. Shipments at one Kroger's 44 distribution centers were about 40% higher than last week. It's been like Thanksgiving every day since Thursday, said Jeff Duro, a regional logistic manager for Kroger's who oversees the distribution centers. Okay? So let me make something clear to you that I had to make clear to my mother. My mother uh, well, well, my mother said, you know, I need some groceries. And my sister out in Colorado said, Mom, I'll go get them for you. And when she came back, she had all this food. And my mom said, why, why do you have all this food? I, I, you know, I don't need this. She said, well, you know, we're worried about this virus. So you only had enough on your list for one week. We bought you enough for a month. And I said, Mom, that's, that's wrong. Don't do that. And she said, well, they'll resupply. I said, Mom, I, I got that. But you got to understand the supply chain. Because what that means is that when you bought all this stuff, somebody who might really need that food to buy their one week's worth of food can't buy it because the shelves are empty. And see, the way supply chain works, you can't just fill the shelves up all at once. See, trucks are only so big. There's only so many trucks. And, and this this system has been built based on what the consumption rate normally is, and they have a system then that can fill it up. Think about filling up a swimming pool, right? You got a hose. The hose only has so much water coming through it, okay? And so you fill up the pool by having this hose. And if there was a leak in the pool and so much was going out, you would just have so much coming through that hose to refill it. So the problem is that when you take all that food out, It isn't going to be able to be just restocked instantly because there aren't the trucks to do that. So it's, it's like a flow. Think of it like a conveyor belt and you can't like take all the food off the conveyor belt because then it takes a long time for it to catch up. There's plenty of food. There's not going to be a problem because we grow all this food in America. And I got news for you. They're not going to be hit hard by the coronavirus in Kansas because they're already separated by acres and acres of land. Okay. It's gonna be okay. So put that behind you, and when you're at the grocery store next time, when you pay, slip the cashier an extra five bucks. Go up to the guy stocking the stocking the shelves and slip him a five or a ten, and say thank you because they're working their butts off. We're hearing about this. They're they're coming in working all these night shifts. They're, they you know they and they're dealing with customers who're giving them crap. That's bull. We got to stop that we gotta, we got to take care of the people who take care of us. And here's another group, truckers. Truckers are keeping America's supply chain and Americans alive. This is one of the great stories of our country. Groceries are reappearing on American store shelves this week thanks to the strength of the supply chain that includes farmers, distributors, wholesalers, and retailers, all of whom are literally risking their lives to stay on duty. A critical part of that supply chain is the American trucker, who makes sure that goods are delivered in a timely fashion. This is always the case, but is especially true in sudden global emergencies like we face today. The U.S. Census Bureau reported last year that 3.5 million Americans are employed as truck drivers. Many work long hours, and uh, and a disproportionate number of them are military veterans. They are the front, front line once again. There, there, there's one thing all Americans do right now, and that's thank a trucker, said the American Trucking Association, especially during times like these, because without them, the disruptions we're experiencing would be something much, much worse. So, you know how, you know, kids like to make the trucker honk their horns, when, you know, and stuff like that, because they get a thrill out of the horns. When you're driving by truckers, honk your horn and give them a thumbs up. Let's celebrate our truckers. If you see a trucker at a grocery store, or at a gas station, delivering fuel or goods, or even at a manufacturing plant, walk up to them like you do with the police officers. When we do that and we say, thank you for your service, walk up to those truck drivers and say, we'd be dead without you, and I greatly appreciate what you're doing. It's just, it's just important, and that's, and that's the kind of things we need to do, folks. Those are the kind of things that we need to do. So here's another story, and I'm not sure if this is good or bad. It's kind of both. But oil fell to its lowest price since 2002 or 2002 this week. The price of oil collapsed Wednesday to about $24 a barrel past the the trough of the most recent oil bust and to its lowest level in nearly two decades. West Texas Intermediate Crude was trading at $24.43 a barrel early Wednesday morning, off more than 10% from Tuesday, and the lowest since the price hit $24.29 a barrel in June of 2002. the weak global economy was not ready for COVID-19, which is why we are seeing escalating panic in the markets, Lewis Dickinson, an analyst for the Norwegian research firm Rystard Energy said in a statement. This is the most dismal oil demand picture we have witnessed in a long time with a simultaneous collapse of jet fuel, gasoline, shipping fuel, petrochemicals, and oil used for power generation. So I said it's good news and it's bad news. President Trump has been making a big statement about the fact that we, I'm literally seeing gas at a price of $0.99 cents a gallon. Wow. When was the last time you saw that? And it could even go lower because we're just full of oil because with all these businesses being shut down and people not being able to travel and jet planes being shut down, there's a glut of oil. So that, President Trump has said, that's like a big tax cut. And in a way it is, though he's got to take into account, there's nowhere to go, right? You're not traveling very far. You're not using a lot of gas, but it's good for our truckers, right? Very good for our truckers. It's bad for our oil companies. It's bad for the fracking companies. It's bad for our domestic oil because what the Saudis are trying to do is they're trying to put some of them out of business. So President Trump's going to have to take action to protect our oil companies. But in the meantime, when we're going through all this other garbage, isn't it great that we get this break where we get lower costs for fuel? It's really important and, and, and it's it's an important part of this whole dynamic of what we're facing. Okay, one last story here before we uh, take our, our wrap up the show. We have been talking for many weeks about FISA and, and it looked like President Trump was gonna reauthorize the FISA course and, and, and we said, don't do it. And I asked you guys to call and say, don't do it. And what's great is, The two uh, GOP senators have have basically stopped the whole thing, and that's uh, Rand Paul and Mike Lee. And they have been making the efforts to uh, sink the surveillance deal that the House passed, and the two of them were victorious in forcing the expiration of three surveillance programs, which includes the controversial Section 215 that was used to spy on President Trump. This bill is tied to the reauthorization of three expiring provisions of the USA Freedom Act, a 2015 law which reformed the country's intelligence programs. Some changes were made to a surveillance court as well. The House bill with no amendments is completely unacceptable, an affront to any of us who were ever concerned about FISA issues, Paul commented, making reference to the Foreign Intelligence uh, Surveillance Court, FISA. In the meantime, Lee delivered a lengthy speech where he criticized the House measure, calling President Trump's citing President Trump's concerns. He still has concerns that FISA, that many senators are pointing out the flaws in the reform package. If the President of the United States himself has reason to be concerned about FISA, then what about the rest of us Americans, right? That's an awesome, awesome thing that we did get FISA stopped, and now they're looking at it because if we're not going to hold. Comey and and McCabe and all the guys who use FISA to spy on President Trump and to to create the phony Russian collusion hoax, then we've got to at least shut the court down and reform it because they should have stopped them and they didn't do it. So that's the end of our show uh, for the radio show this week. I really appreciate you listening. Again, if you come in and and go to WeThePeopleConvention.org right now, you can hear the podcast and, uh, and and pick up right after this, you know, what you've heard on the radio, just pick up the podcast. We're going to talk about, um, you know, some more changes that are going on in the Trump administration as far as uh, who's running departments and things like that. We're going to talk about the China threat. I'm going to talk a lot about that because that's a big deal. We're going to talk about uh, the treatment of uh, General Flynn and how President Trump is talking about doing a— uh, about, you know, basically giving a pardon to General Flynn because it's now clear that the, the FBI just abused General Flynn and abused the law in prosecuting him, and that needs to be stopped. So tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the podcast. Keep on helping us grow this show. Come here for another look at the news with a different set of eyes, and we'll be back again next week. You're listening to the Weedy People Convention, News and Opinion, radio show and podcast, and I'm Tom Zawistowski. The We the People Convention News and Opinion Radio Program is paid for by donors like you. You can donate to the We the People Convention and support our cause by going to wethepeopleconvention.org or by sending your check in any amount to We the People Convention, P.O. Box 6211, Akron, Ohio, 44312. The Buckeye Institute was founded in 1989, and we the longest serving free market think tank in the state of Ohio. My goal is removing barriers to prosperity that have been put in place by government. We want for Ohio to be the freest and most prosperous state in the country. The Buckeye Institute is a source of common sense ideas that will have an impact on the nation as well as the state of Ohio. and we are back and we're glad you're with us on the podcast. I want to go to my next story. This is kind of a, a, you know, a follow-up again. I had told you that President Trump had reappointed a 29-year-old guy named John McAtee to be uh, head of his personnel office. And Man, is he shaking things up. And there's a story in Politico, who is no friend of the president, saying uh, Dale Chambliss, the director of the government's office of personal management, resigned abruptly on Tuesday, effective immediately. Cannabis, can, cabinists stepped down because of what two people familiar with the matter said was poor treatment from the 29-year-old head of the presidential personnel office, John McAtee. Uh, and the powerful appointee of the OPM, Paul Dans, the new White House liaison and senior advisor and director of the OPM. The departure casts a cloud of uncertainty over the federal workforce as it struggles to decide how to handle the coronavirus outbreak with growing questions about the Trump administration's decisions to keep most government offices open and how it is handling remote work. See, so the deep state doesn't like the fact that after three years, of them sandbagging the president in every single department, he's finally got somebody in there who's saying, we're going to appoint people who are loyal to Trump to run these offices. Now, this is even more important than it was ever before. Look what's going on with this coronavirus thing. You're hearing these unreal numbers about Congress passing stimulus bills that are like $1.2 trillion. Some people are talking about $2 trillion. Now, remember, when you think about it, stimulus. When Barack Obama did the stimulus, as soon as he got into office in 2009, it was like $850 billion. All that money went to the unions. All that money went to Democrats because he wanted to keep them from feeling the pain of the housing crisis, okay? And he used that money to build up his base. Okay. So now the president Trump's in charge, right? Supposed to be a Republican administration. We don't have this control of the Senate. They're putting forward billions, excuse me, trillions of dollars. They're going to put forward, which they're saying are going to go to give small business loans. And they're going to help with uh, daycare. And they're going to help these uh, workers that aren't getting paychecks. And, and but what are we doing? We're growing government. These are all big government programs. And this is a problem. But you know what a bigger problem is? Is this McAtee guy isn't putting people in place. Who do you think is going to see who gets, decide who gets that money? Who do you think is going to get these trillions of dollars? You think it's going to be conservatives? You think it's going to be small government groups? Or you think it's going to be the people that support the deep state and the big state and big government. I am worried sick about this. And I've been talking to people in the government saying, what are we going to do about this? Because, and, and I'll tell you another thing, talk about Ohio, right? I talked about Governor DeWine and, and, and how he's, he's, he's been completely out of control in his handling of this crisis, but he declared a statewide emergency, right? What comes with that? You know what comes with that? Once he declares a state of emergency, the governor can give no bid contracts. So then the president declared a national state of emergency. And he signed that act, the Sh- Shannon Act, or what it was called, that created $52 billion to, of emergency funding. You know where that funding goes? That goes to the states. So Governor DeWine is going to be getting at least a billion, my guess, multiple billions of dollars, to the state to supposedly help us with this coronavirus. But that money's going to go to somebody. You know what it's going to go to? It's going to go to Mike DeWine's donors. It's going to go to the Republican Party donors in the state because that's their payback for paying for the $38 million that DeWine needed to barely squeak by and win the governorship. That's their payback. And I'm really worried about this because, yeah, everybody says the Tea Party used to be for, you, know, you know, smaller government and Trump spending more money than Obama. Yeah, we are worried. I'm worried about inflation. I'm worried about inflation, folks, because you, you, can't, you can't have 25% of the workforce not working and have the government paying for that, right? On borrowed money, and then when the economy starts, when this virus is gone and the economy picks up, there's going to be more demand than there is supply. What happens then? Prices go up. That's inflation. This is dangerous times, folks. All these things fit together. And so, you know, we've got to be careful. So what can we do about it? Well, here's, here's something that isn't getting enough attention and you need to pay attention to it. It's really important. China. You've got to start thinking about China because what they've done with this virus is only part of the story. President Trump was right when he put tariffs on China. That was brilliant. He did what no one in Washington would dare to do. And it was important because it's really helped to start this economic you know, thing. Again, we are so lucky that we have, they had the economy we had that we were so ahead of it, things we've lost 40% of the stock market in just a couple of weeks, but we're still at where it was when Trump came to office because we were so strong. But it's because President Trump wasn't afraid to fight China, all right? So now uh, Secretary of State Pompeo has spoken out just this week when all the lefties in the media are telling you, Trump's a racist because he calls it the China virus. It is the China virus. And he did a good job of defending himself in that. But Secretary of State Pompeo uh, accused the Chinese Communist Party of failing to cooperate and be helpful in the wake of the global coronavirus pandemic. Instead of trying to do the work to suppress the virus, which is what the world demanded, the Chinese Communist Party did not get it right and put countless lives at risk as a result, Pompeo said on Wednesday. Now, we all know that we've discovered in this pandemic that our bureaucrats, our, you know, our deep state, our Republican and Democrat parties have let the manufacturer of pharmaceuticals go to China to the point where we're at risk of not having the antibiotics and stuff you need if you go to the hospital. And President Trump has said, we've got to fix that and bring those backs. Well, here's a tip for governor dewine in ohio you know that jobs ohio program that john Kasich set up that was a corrupt crony capitalist program where you guys could funnel state money to your corrupt donors how about if we use jobs ohio to tell president trump that we're going to use it as an incubator to build pharmaceutical manufacturing plants in ohio how's that what we have to do immediately immediately is we have to stop just printing money and saying government's going to hand things out and instead take advantage of this situation to create jobs in this country by bringing back all the other national security items that are involved with our dealings with China. This whole pandemic has settled, I think, for the long term. This whole discussion about how wonderful globalism is and, you know, just-in-time supply chain, you know, stuff like that. Because what have we found out? If you have one source for any product, you've made a serious mistake. And that's what we've all done. We shipped all our jobs to China because a handful of billionaires in our country made billions of dollars by taking away our jobs. Now we have a chance to take their money away and put it in our paychecks of our American workers by starting to produce these iPhones and these computer chips and all the things our jet fighters and our bombers and our national defense and our military needs. You can't make that in a communist country. What are you, nuts? You can't do it. Wake up, America. Wake up we got to bring that home and create jobs and make something good out of this whole situation. All right, I'm going to take another break. Uh, you're listening to the Weedy People Convention News and Opinion Radio Show and Podcast. And my name is Tom Zawistowski. This is Jordan Sekulow with the American Center for Law and Justice. At the ACLJ, we are committed to fighting the deep state and protecting freedom the right to life, religious liberty, and fighting for the Constitution. The ACLJ has experienced tremendous success in litigating cases at all levels of the judiciary, from the federal district court level to the Supreme Court of the United States. We have offices in Washington, D.C., Jerusalem, and all around the world. You can find out more about the ACLJ and join us by visiting aclj.org. Did you know that the Right to Life Action Coalition of Ohio is the largest statewide life group in the state? Are you tired of the compromised approach to pro-life legislation that has been the status quo for far too long? Since 2017, the efforts of the Right to Life Action Coalition of Ohio has changed that approach, closing loopholes and making pro-life laws enforceable. Visit rtlaohio.org or call 440-668-4049 for details. all right. And we're back. We've got a few more stories to cover here before we wrap up the show. Um, I think there's a, a really good story. Uh, well, this is, this is a, a bad story, but it's, it's proving, you know, that we're getting to the bottom of these things. There's a report from uh, John Solomon, and I've been, you know, quoting him a lot almost every week because he's got a great uh, you know, website at justanews.com. But uh, basically, he got uh, former Obama uh, employees to uh, go on the record and talk about how they were in the DOJ looking at what the FBI was doing to General Michael Flynn, and they were just appalled. Former Obama-era FBI officials reportedly said they were worried by former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn's treatment during the FBI's investigation. Uh, letters from multiple De- Department of Justice officials expressed those concerns, including former Acting Attorney General, Sal- uh, Attorney General Sally Yates. The memos reportedly noted that multiple officials believed uh, Flynn simply misremembered his conversation with Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak, while Robert Mueller's team was running with Flynn's guilty plea at the time. Yates and the company also took issue with the fact that the FBI in 2017 brought Flynn in for an interview without letting him know he was being investigated at the time. This gave him the impression he was not in any legal trouble, which caused him not to seek out a lawyer for the conversation. Meanwhile, Flynn's lawyers has called for his guilty plea to be withdrawn and by saying he was coerced by investigators into making a false confession in 2018. And as I've said to you, this is a case that means a lot to me. Uh, General Flynn is an American hero. What they've done to him uh, is just horrific and a pardon isn't good enough. We need to give this 32 year veteran uh, you know, warrior his life back. We the people, the U.S. government need to reimburse him for his legal expenses. I think that he will be uh, you know, pardoned by Trump if they do not uh, uh, drop the charges but I I would rather have them drop the charges because he should never have been charged in the first place. So we're wishing for the best for General Flynn. Um, I do want to uh, go on the next story here. This is a good story. And again, with all the coronavirus news, folks, it's hard to, to talk about anything else, but there are good things going on. Trump strikes blow against deadly cartel makes big announcement. And, uh, you know, again, the drug war continues. The Mexicans, you know, aren't, the Mexican cartels aren't just sitting around and they're afraid of coronavirus. They're trying to bring drugs in more than ever. The Trump administration announced on Wednesday the results of a massive federal operation targeting the CJNG Mexican cartel, which is one of the most notorious drug cartels in Mexico. The the DOJ and Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA, revealed that over 600 arrests have been made as a result of Project Python, which was started last year. Project Python is the single largest strike by U.S. authorities against CJNG, and this is just the beginning, acting DEA administrator Adam Dillon said during a press conference. The strategic, the strategic and coordinated project exemplifies DEA's mission to disrupt and dismantle and destroy drug trafficking organizations around the world and bring their leaders to justice. Today, the DEA has disrupted uh, CJ. CGA- NG's operations, and there's more to come as the DOJ, as the DEA continues this relentless attack on this remorseless criminal organization. So hats off to the DEA uh, for fighting that fight, which, you know, it's just a nasty fight with these drug cartels. And, um, you know, I'm just so glad that that fight continues. Even while we're fighting the coronavirus and all this else is going on, we've got good people in government actually fighting to protect us. I had to put this story in because I just... It just was so hilarious to me. and I mean, it's not, I guess it's not hilarious, but it's just so ironic. The mayor of Baltimore asked residents to stop shooting each other so coronavirus patients can have hospital beds. Baltimore mayor Jack, Jack, Jack Young pleaded with the city to stop filling hospital beds with gunshot wound victims. A mass shooting in a park on Tuesday left seven Baltimore residents hospitalized In a statement about the shooting, Young said hospitals don't have the room to tolerate gunshot victims as the coronavirus pandemic sweeps across the United States. We cannot clog up our hospitals and their beds with people that are being shot senselessly because we're going to need those beds for people who might be infected with the coronavirus, Young said on Wednesday. And it could be your mother, your grandmother, or one of your relatives. So take that into consideration. Wow. How sad is that, right? I mean, but that is the nature of the beast in uh, you know in our urban areas, and boy, are they going to be the ones hit with the coronavirus simply because of the closeness of the situation. So you know that that's you know I'm glad he's doing that, but it's pretty outrageous. Last uh, piece I want to talk about before we wrap up the show is uh, there was a story out that a survey was done uh, that said. Uh, of Americans fear socialism means breadlines, secret police, hospital waiting lines. Voters fear that the shift from democracy to socialism will lead to breadlines, rolling power blackouts, long lines at medical offices, and new secret police force. We have all heard and seen the horror stories. Socialism has wrought havoc on nations throughout the world, but do voters think it could happen here in America? An incredible number do believe these horror stories could happen in America. Read the analysis by the polling company, a subsidiary of CRC Advisors. Um, let's see. Overall, the survey found that 63% of, of Americans are concerned that the Democratic Party is morphing into socialism. What's more, nearly 4 in 10 Democrats are becoming, uh, think the Democratic Party is becoming more of a socialist party. So 40% of Democrats think the Democratic Party is becoming socialist. They should be worried about that. Voters have a broad understanding of, it, of its promises. For example, guaranteed housing, uh, that they're making promises of guaranteed housing, 67% of Americans know they say that. 65% know that Democrats are talking about free tuition. 62% know they're talking about uh, government salary, uh, setting you know, increases in wages and salaries. They also have a grip on the cost of it and the problems that it could bring the U.S. 60% of Americans, you know, are afraid of the cancellation of private insurance. 55% are afraid that there'll be long waits to see doctors. 44% fear the creation of secret police force. And 41% are afraid that there's going to be bread lines. So while they talk about Bernie Sanders and all the college students and the young people believe in, in socialism and all that, guess what? 63% 63% of Americans don't. And Bernie Sanders, think about this. What happened to Bernie Sanders? Bernie Sanders blew up his own, he was leading, he has projected to win the Democratic Party nomination until what? Until he won on 60 Minutes and praised Fidel Castro. And once that happened, it was straight downhill because when he did that, Finally, the American people, we, you people who listen to this show, you knew what a economy he was. I showed you that, right? We talked about that many weeks in a row, but most of America didn't know that. And when he went on TV and praised Fidel Castro, who most Americans know is a terrible dictator who's imprisoned his people, that was the end of Bernie Sanders. So it's not as bad as it seems, folks. It's not as bad as it seems. And... No matter what happens, we, the people, are the ones who decide how things are going to turn out. Whether it's this coronavirus, okay, or this election, we're going to do what's right. We're going to take personal responsibility, and we're going to get through this. We just hope that the people that are we put in charge or who we didn't have much choice but let them take charge, don't ruin it so bad that we can't fix it. But just believe me what i said at the beginning of the show it's 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 this is what it is it's a tsunami right you can see it building in new york state on tuesday they had 725 cases of the coronavirus on wednesday they had 2800 that's the wave building in the next few days they're going to tell you the government is going to tell you that there'll be no interstate travel and then they're going to say we have to stay in our houses and when they say get in your houses that's going to be the wave, this invisible wave cresting over you. Then, if we stay in our houses for 14 days, the gestation period of this virus, when we come out, the virus will have died off because it had no host. The people who were sick in that 14 days will be treated, and they will be over it. And all of us who weren't sick, it'll be gone. That's what the president's asking you. We can do that. We can do that after 14 days. Hopefully things will start to move in the right. I'm not saying everything will be gone. I'm saying we'll move in the right direction. That's why we all got to get behind this and make it happen and do it to the best of our ability. Right. And then we'll be okay. I'll be back again next week. You're listening to the, we, the people convention, uh, podcast news and opinion podcast and radio show. I ask that you please tell other people about this. Spread the word. Our viewership is growing. It's important because we've got an election to win after we get through with this coronavirus stuff. Thank you again for watching.